many of us can name a few animal species. Dogs, elephants, birds, sharks. There are many, many species of animals on this earth. In a paper by Ritchie and Roser called Biodiversity and Wildlife, they note that currently we have identified 2 million species of animals. They also estimate, however, that the true number of species could be around 5 or even 10 million. So, I don't blame you if you do not know, for example, the ai, which is a lemur native to Madagascar. Also, it is the world's largest nocturnal primate. You should really do a Google search about this creature because he is very cute to look at. However, today I will not be talking about one of those 2 million identified species. But I wanted to make clear how amazing it is that there are so many species of animals alive on this earth that many of us do not even know exist. But then there is a creature that according to many sources is fictional and yet we all know this creature through old wives' tales or books, movies or even paintings. And yes, maybe this creature is a part of the 3 to 8 million species of animals we have yet to discover. I mean, there are still so many parts of the sea which remains undiscovered. Have you guessed it yet? Yes, today we're talking about mermaids. My name is Maartje and you are listening to Biographies of the Wicked. The belief in mermaids is not something new. I mean, yes, movies like Narnia and Barbie have made mermaids extremely popular in the last few years, as there are even tales that you can buy online to become a mermaid yourself. And people have made it their profession to be a mermaid. And I'll admit that I'm a bit jealous about that. But even in a time where there was no such thing as movies, mermaids were very popular. It seems that mermaids have been around in the minds of people for a very long time. From the ancient Greeks who believed that mermaids, or sirens, lived near Sicily where they lured fishermen into their death, to the Irish folklore which tells us that mermaids were captured and married by fishermen when they would come too close to the land. Very recently, in June of 2022, archaeologists in the Greek city of Kozani found the skeletal remains of a woman that was placed on a funerary bed. Being placed on a funerary bed, especially one this nice, meant that the person was of higher status in society, maybe even royal. The remains were dated to be around 2100 years old, so the first century before the Common Era. The bed itself was partly made out of wood, which has sadly been lost to time. The bronze posts, however, are intact. And this is also where the archaeologist made another great find. The posts were filled with depictions of mermaids. Mermaids that are similar to the ones we know today. Beautiful women with fishtails. However, this was not always the case. In 1933, a Hungarian desert explorer called Laszlo Almasi led the German schoolers Leo Frobenius and Hans Rothart through the vast mountains of Wadi Sura. 
The German schoolers wanted to explore a number of prehistoric rock art sites that were previously found. While guiding the schoolers, however, Almasi decided to take a different route than usual. Walking in the valley, Almasi noticed an opening, and he entered. I imagine it took him a second to let his eyes get used to the darkness. But when he was able to make out what he had stumbled upon, he was baffled. He had found a shelter of sorts, but what made it unique was the many decorations that were drawn on the walls. There were people, but not hunting or walking, you know, what we would expect from cave art dating 10,000 years old. The people on the wall were swimming, an unlikely find, no matter what. But there are also uniquenesses in how the people are drawn. Almost like, like they do not have any legs, but a tail. Is it possible that humans 10,000 years ago made contact with mermaids and painted them like they did with many animals? Did they also make them go extinct or maybe drove them away deeper into the seas to be safe? According to schoolers, probably not. It is still even debated if the people are even swimming at all. It is not like we can go back in time and ask the artists what they meant with their painting, sadly. Where does the mermaid lore come from? It can be hard to really pinpoint where the belief in mermaids started. But commonly it is believed that most of the modern takes on mermaids stem from the Babylonian water god called Ea, or as he was known in Sumerian, Enki. Or perhaps it was the Levantine water goddess called Atargatis. There are many versions in Assyrian mythology about how Atargatis became the first mermaid. Most commonly it includes Atargatis, a goddess, falling in love with the human, a shepherd, and having a daughter together with him. However, it seemed that making love with the goddess was a death sentence to the man as he died after coitus. Out of grief, Atargatis threw herself into a lake and was at the brink of death herself when she was granted the qualities of a fish to be able to live in the lake. But because of her beauty, she remained human-like from the waist up. And so, she became the very first mermaid in 1000 BCE. Even though this mythology was written down many years ago, it still has great influence on the daily lives of some Syrians who do not eat fish to honor Atargatis. Honoring a goddess by not eating fish is just one example of how mermaids have influenced people over the years. Another example comes from the best-known fairy tales of Hans Christian Andersen. And, of course, I am talking about The Little Mermaid. In 1999, Marie-Louise von Franz already noted about The Little Mermaid, and I quote, it is the collective unconscious psychic processes that show the most simple, concise and core form of archetypes." End quote. One example of this is how consciousness and unconsciousness is portrayed via symbolism in The Little Mermaid. 
Like the famous drawing of the iceberg, where the top above the sea represents the consciousness and below the sea represents the unconsciousness, the same is true for the story about the Little Mermaid, where she can travel between the sea and above the sea and acts as a symbol for the ability to cross consciousness and unconsciousness. This is very closely related to Freud's psychoanalysis, where things can become conscious because the ego can consider and make decisions. There is a whole book dedicated to the meaning behind the story of the Little Mermaid and the archetypes that are present. I will not go through these today, because there are a lot and it would take me hours. But I would like to discuss one component of the story that I think is very interesting. For many, the Little Mermaid represents the journey to becoming an adult. Karen Lassen proposed in her paper about the psychology of a mermaid, understanding the Danish people, that the story reflects how women are perceived in Denmark, where the story originates from, as well as how the society itself is organized, especially the underwater land of the Mere Kingdom, where the Little Mermaid was born and raised in, seems to reflect the Danish norms and values. Mer Kingdom is described as a very serene and even idyllic place to live, and the grandmother of the Little Mermaid repeatedly tells her that the underwater world is a much nicer place. However, it seems that this happy place leaves no room for feelings such as anger, hate, fear and pain. These feelings are only portrayed when the Little Mermaid comes across the Sea Witch and thus is associated with unpleasantness. Lassen noticed that in her own Danish community this translates in avoidance of behaviors that could cause these quote, negative feelings, end quote. And behaviors that do show these emotions are seen as rude. It is interesting to see how a story can really capture the belief systems of a society and how it can be used to explain events that occur and also the differences between cultures. So, like I said before, for many years people have believed in mermaids. And even in the years that people did not really believe they existed, mermaids were often depicted in art and in writing. The idea of mermaids is something that has connected us with the people that came before us, and probably to the people in the future as well. It is not all then that some people became desperate in their search. In their search, for real mermaids. Samuel Barrett Eats was an American captain. In the early 1800s he found himself in Japan, trying to negotiate with Japanese sellers, what was in itself quite challenging as they spoke another language and neither could speak the others. But even still, it took Eats not long to understand that one of the Japanese sellers, a sailor, was offering something quite unusual. Something otherworldly. Something impossible. Eats was able to buy this very unique specimen for only $6,000. 
equivalent to $140,000 today. What he was able to buy with this money? Well, a real-life mermaid. Well, a dead and dried mermaid. What a steal. It however seemed that Eats did not have enough money to complete the transaction. So he had to dip into the expense account of the ship, which was of course illegal. But Eats just had to have the mermaid. It took the firm years to hunt down Eats and demand their money back. And after a long lawsuit, they agreed that Eats could keep the mermaid if he would pay the money back. So Eats exhibited the mermaid in order to win back the money that he had quote-unquote borrowed. Which seemed to work, and after his death the mermaid was passed on to his son. The mermaid was the sole item of inheritance, but what else can you wish for? It is unclear if the son was happy with the inheritance or not, but he definitely tried to make the most of it. And eventually he chose to sell it to the Boston Museum in 1842. It was at this moment that P.T. Barnum was showed the mermaid. Barnum was the owner of the profitable American Museum in New York. He was all too happy to exhibit the mermaid. He did make some arrangements, however, just in case someone would try and discredit him. So, he wrote several letters to various newspapers, informing them that someone called Dr. Griffin had returned from South America with a mermaid. In reality, this Dr. Griffin was his own lawyer, who, disguised as Dr. Griffin, entered a hotel and gracefully allowed the landlord to see the mermaid. The landlord told his friends, who told their friends, and soon everyone knew Dr. Griffin as the owner of the mermaid. Barnum's plan had succeeded. He would now not be associated with the mermaid. There was only one thing left to do, and that was to make a lot of money. I am not completely sure for how long Barnum kept up the show, but eventually people became more critical and uncovered something that Barnum had known from the very beginning. That the mermaid was fake. It seemed that the very first thing that Barnum did when he was shown the mermaid was to call in a naturalist who examined the specimen and denounced the creature to be a fake. It seemed that many years ago, the Japanese sailor bought the mermaid from a clever Japanese fisherman with an exquisite sense of humor who fabricated the mermaid using the body of a large fish and a monkey. The Fiji Mermaid The Fiji Mermaid disappeared and it is speculated that it burned in a fire. However, there are staff members of the Peabody Museum of Anthropology at Harvard University who claim that they might have the Barnum's Fiji mermaid. Or is this maybe a real one? To end this episode, I would like to tell you one more mermaid story that makes you wonder. Maybe. Just maybe. They are not just a thing 
of fairy tales. In 1998, a group of 10 people were together on a boat, 20 minutes from the coast of Hawaii, when they spotted a pod of dolphins. Which in itself is not a crazy thing, though it's very beautiful to experience. But it was not the dolphins that left their mouths hanging wide open. It was the woman swimming with them, at the same speed. It was not until she jumped out of the water that they all saw it. Clear as day, her tail. After a few jumps, she disappeared, and after all this turmoil, Jeff Leiger decided he wanted to finally do what he came here to do. And that was to make photos of the marine life. So he jumped into the water and started capturing the environment. One hour later, though, he was startled by something. Something that softly bumped against him. I mean, I am not scared of the ocean, but the idea of being in the middle of deep waters and something bumping into you, it gives me the creeps. Luckily for us, Liger was a bit more courageous than I am, and though surprised at first, he was able to quickly see that it was in fact the mermaid who brushed against him, and he was able to make a photograph before she quickly swam away. The image was submitted for testing to three different labs where the image was analyzed, and all the labs said the same thing. The image is real and has not been tampered with. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Um, I'm almost done with my bachelor's, so that's nice. The summer holiday is around the corner, so I have all the time in the world to work on my podcast. And that makes me very happy. Uh, If you want, you can check out my Instagram or my website. My Instagram is Biographies of the Wicked, all one word. And my website is biographiesofthewicked.com. For now, I just want to say thank you one more time. And I hope to see you next time. Bye!